0: Was uh, Oscar Wilde, who who famously said, reports of my death have been widely exaggerated. Might have been Mark Twain, one of those people. Uh, Just before we begin, those uh, handouts that were given to the members for next week's meeting, I think there are a few left over. If you're not a member, you are more than welcome to take it and read it and, and light a fire with it, whatever you want to do with it. Uh, It's good for so many things, Uh, and maybe also to read as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we are here this morning, worshipping the God who is great in his faithfulness, in his compassion, in his mercy, in his grace. Lord, we just want to, to learn more of your grace this morning. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds and our lives that we could really embrace this truth that you are all that we need. Speak through me, I pray, Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'm a bit sad, actually. I put out this row of chairs here and it says here, reserved for real Christians. And I'm the only person sitting in there. Those of you that did see it, um, just a bit of Q&A to start. How does that make you feel when you walk in and there's a row that says reserved for real Christians? And it's empty. How how does it make you feel? Discriminated against. And, And to make it worse, it wasn't empty all the time. There was little old me sitting there with my halo over my head. The only real Christian in the church. What a shame. (laughs) Well, you know, to be a Christian, you have to be separate from everyone else. This morning we're continuing, as Reg said, our series through the book of Galatians and we're looking at what it means for us to have freedom in Christ, what it means for us to, to experience grace alone as the source of our salvation. This, this, this idea of being free in Christ is, is one of the really big ideas that Paul is, is trying to get through to the Galatians and to us as he writes this letter. If you remember last week, uh, we looked at a bit of the background and we said that there were, um, there were people coming through to the Galatian church trying to lead them away from relying solely on Jesus Christ for their grace, for his grace and salvation. But we're going to start today, not in Galatia, but but in Antioch, because that's where Paul takes us in chapter 2 of Galatians. We've got this conflict there between Peter and Paul. Now, you might remember we used this passage as the second or third week of the Peacemakers uh, series. I'm not going to preach the same sermon, just in case you do remember that one. Different message. We've got this conflict between Peter and Paul. Uh, we 're not told explicitly, but I think it 's most probable that what 's happening in Galatians two is happening after the Jerusalem Council that we see in about Acts chapter 15. If you remember the Jerusalem Council was where Paul and, uh, and a bunch of other guys went to Jerusalem and they said, "Look, what is the deal? Do Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be real Christians? And if you remember back to what happened, uh, God spoke through Peter, God spoke through Paul, God spoke through James, uh, and, and they decided that no, to be a Christian you don't have to be a Jew, you just have to follow Jesus. Common sense, good news, grace alone is what saves us. And in the church in Antioch, the, the place where, where, where Barnabas had introduced Paul as, as one of the head honchos of the church there, This this news from the council of Jerusalem that that you didn't need to be a Jew to be a Christian, that you didn't have to follow all of the Jewish laws, this had really taken root and and, and flourished in this church at Antioch. It was a a united church. You had Jews and non-Jews fellowshipping together, hanging out together, having communion together. It was wonderful. It was... It was a place where all believers, regardless of your your DNA, your heritage, your, your social status, your gender, you could come together and you could be God's family together. And into this idyllic picture of what a church should be, verse 11 of chapter 2, Peter arrives. I love Peter, he's such a great bloke. Because he arrives and, and uh, you know, at first nothing happens. Peter's, Peter's full on with this let's mingle with the Gentiles. Uh, remember back in, it uh, must be about Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter's in Joppa uh, and he sees this vision coming down of, of all sorts of delicious food in a tray, or not a tray, in a cloth. And some of it's food that Jews aren't supposed to eat. And God says, Peter, eat. And he says, not in your life, God. And God says three times, Peter, eat up now. And eventually Peter realizes and he says, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse about 26, he says, I I have understood now that what God calls clean, I have no right to call unclean. I, I will celebrate and I will hang out with anyone who believes in God because God is the one who makes them right. Jesus is their righteousness and mine. And so Peter's there in Antioch and he's having communion with with all of the brothers and the sisters. Until, verse 12, you get some of these hardliners from Jerusalem. These these hyper-fundamentalists. And I mean fundamentalists in a bad sense. It's not that they held to the fundamentals, it's that they were fundamentalists, hypersame. They called themselves Christians, but, but they refused to have anything to do with anyone who didn't follow their rules and their regulations and, and their interpretation of what God needed and, and their understanding that, that if you worked hard enough, then God would accept you and Jesus would be okay for you. Because if you, if you didn't follow their rules, well, you weren't good enough for them and you certainly weren't good enough for God and you were not allowed to sit in the real Christian row in Antioch. And Paul says to us, these blokes came from, from Jerusalem claiming to, to come from James, James the head honcho of the Jerusalem church, but I mean, they weren't talking on, on James's authority, I'm sure. James had spoken up at the Jerusalem council and said plainly, no, we are saved by faith alone. We don't demand anything from the Gentiles. But you know, there's still this kind of pressure that you can get from people who say, well, you know, we're from the original church. We know best. Our theology is the right one. And you better just obey us. I've been in churches um, where you're not allowed to share communion unless you are a member of the church. Same thing. I've been in churches where you're not allowed to come to members' meetings without being a member of the church. You're welcome. And Peter, you know, he he knows all the backstory of what happened in the Jerusalem council. He spoke up backing the Gentile mission. But when these hardliners come, he backs away and he stops hanging out with the Gentiles and he, and he starts eating only with the hardliners and he, and he puts on this mask of being a good, hardline, hyper-fundamentalist Christian. And everyone, look at me, aren't I good? I'm being like the real Christian. And Paul says, "Really, he was just afraid of them. He didn't want to be criticized by them. It's, it's so much easier to just appease them and act like them than to stand up against them. And it's typical Peter for me. I mean remember the time when Peter's walking on the water towards Jesus, and, and, and he's getting there, and, and he's going wonderfully, and he's halfway there, and he looks down and he sees the water and he starts thinking, and he says, "Jesus, help me." the same thing here in Antioch. Peter's going well. He's, he's, he's living the gospel, a united people, free in Christ to mingle with whoever you want to. And then he looks around and he sees the hardliners and he starts sinking. And so what we end up with in, in verses 11 to 13 of, of Galatians 2 in Antioch is a church that, that's bifocal. You've got the kosher Christians and you've got the not-so-kosher Christians. You know, a while back I, I was looking at Baptist unions around the world and I know it's not quite us, but you know, in the US they've got a whole slew of Baptist unions. But as far as I could tell, there are no black and white Baptist unions. There are black Baptist unions and there are white Baptist unions. to me is staggering because it's what we got here in Galatians chapter 2 in Antioch a church divided and you might ask well what's the big deal Nick maybe they just want to do church their way they want to look if they want to insist on washing your hands before eating and, 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 and following all the Jewish rules and regulations before they have communion with you so what? Who are we to say that they're wrong to, to want to do church like that? And Paul comes and he says, No, this, this, is, this is not a small thing that we're dealing with. This, this dividing line that has arisen is a massive thing because what Peter is doing, verse 14, is really nothing less than forcing the Gentile believers to follow Jewish customs. And we might say, well, how was he forcing them? He wasn't, he wasn't holding them and, 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 I don't know, forcing them to be Jewish. But, 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 but it strikes me that, that Peter was the leader of the church. He was a well-respected man. He was the, the one chosen by God, by Jesus, who said, on you I will build my church. And his actions spoke louder than his words, maybe. I mean, what he was doing, by by inference at least, by by refusing to hang out with the the Gentile Christians, was, was really putting back on them the manacles of slavery to rules and regulations and saying to them, by his actions, you are not worthy to hang out with me because you are not good enough for God. And he was a well respected man and, and people copied him and they thought, well, if Peter is doing that, then it must be right. And I can just hear the the agony in Paul's voice as he writes. And even Barnabas was taken in by their hypocrisy. I mean Barnabas, the the fellow missionary to the Gentiles, the man who was all concerned with with sharing the good news with the non-Jewish world and he slips back into Peter's era. You remember a while back um, just near the beginning of the global financial crisis where the car companies were wanting a bailout in America and they were crying how poor they were and how they needed the money and then they got on their private executive jets, and they flew over to Washington. And people said, "Your actions speak louder than your words. We don't believe you." And Paul comes back verse 14 don't know where he's been while this has been brewing, but he comes back and he he has to confront this behaviour. He has to confront Peter because because Peter is so far off the mark of what the Gospel of of freedom and grace in Christ means. I mean, Peter knew better than to withdraw himself from his fellow Christians. He, He was playing the hypocrite. In effect... Dare I say that Peter was preaching a gospel other than Christ alone. Because by his actions he was saying, unless you are a Jew like I am, you can't be a real Christian. Unless you do the things that I do, you can't be a real Christian. And Paul says, I had to confront him because he was wrong. NIV is a very polite translation. What what it actually says there in the Greek is, I had to confront Peter because he stood condemned. But hold on, what what about last week? Remember what we looked at last week? Verses 8 and verses 9 of chapter 1. Paul says, I'll read uh, verse 9, as we have already said so, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 11. Here's Paul going to Peter saying, Peter, you're not preaching the true gospel. Your actions are not preaching the true gospel, Peter. We've got a massive problem here. And says, Paul, really, I was serious about that. Whether it's me, whether it's an angel, he said last week, whether it's Peter. If it's not grace alone, that's wrong. And Paul doesn't actually curse Peter in chapter 2 over here. Because I I think Paul understood that Peter's head knowledge was in the right place. See, he, he knew we are feeding Christ. We are saved by grace alone. There is, there is no dividing line to separate us. We are one in Christ. He, he knew all of this in his head, but, but he stood condemned. He still needed to be confronted because, because in his actions, he had violated the truth and he had violated the freedom of the Antiochian Christians. As I say, I love Peter because he... He has it together, one minute and then he falls flat on the face in the mud the next. 100% who you are in Jesus. Going gets tough, (laughs) down comes the barrier. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that it's really important for us to grow in the depths of our knowledge of who God is. I think it's, it's important for us to to wrestle with the Scriptures, to, to know more and more and more about God and about His grace and about His goodness and, and to grow in the depths of our understanding of Him. And Paul says that quite a few times in his letters, how we really need to just grow in our knowledge of Him. And because as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God, we can praise Him so much better and we can serve Him so much more. But can I suggest that what we really think and believe about God, what we really think and believe about Jesus, doesn't it get shown in our daily actions? doesn't it show in in what we do not just in what we say I mean Peter he says oh I know that keeping all the Jewish laws isn't going to save me but I'm happy to insist on them and live by them and force them on others what he knew and what he did out of seek and maybe the challenge for us this morning is that we need to examine our lives and and, and ask whether what we know to be true matches with how we live that truth and that freedom and that grace. And maybe we need to be challenged by God this morning. Again, to, to not just think, but to be Christians. Let me give you an example. I, I, I know that God is the God who is compassionate, And full of mercy and grace and forgiveness and and humility. And He calls us to those things. But I'm I'm committed to that. But but how often do we not balk at forgiveness? How often are we not slow to show compassion? How often are we not quick to stand in our pride? Am I falling into the same trap as Peter and saying, well, we have to do these things in order to be saved? Please don't hear me say that. I'm saying that this should be a description of us because we have been saved. Because we have been made right with God. Because if that's not how we are living out the gospel, then what does the gospel really mean to us? I think it's Francis of Assisi who, who said along the lines of preach the gospel and if necessary use words. And said Paul to Peter here in Galatians 2, your actions are not speaking to the grace of God. And we know what a stupid waste of time, says Paul, it is for us to rely on law. I mean, that's why, says Paul, that's why I trusted in Jesus. That's why you trusted in Jesus, Peter. That's why all of us trust in Jesus because trusting in the law, trusting and trying to make our own way to being God's good books, Says Paul to us again, it just doesn't work. All that the law, all that our ticking off the check boxes do is to prove to ourselves and to God that we are not good enough like, like He is. We are not holy like He is. And I just love the way in, in verse 16 that, that Paul connects this, this head knowledge to, to the action um, and, and, and our holistic approach to our faith. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. Uh, Paul says, um, We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We know this. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. This is what we have done. This is our action." Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. See what he's done there? He says, We know that we need Jesus. We, we've actually trusted in Jesus because we know that without Jesus, we are without hope. It's a, it's a sandwich of, of theory and practice. and you take away the theory and the practices nowhere. But you know, you take away the, the living it out. The saying, I don't just know that Jesus is all I need, but I will actually live like that. I will put my trust in Him. I will base my life on that. that that's essential. Because theory by itself is empty. And I, I just praise God that it's, it's not just empty theory for us. Because, says Paul, to Peter, to us, we know the truth. We know what it is to be free in Christ. We know the grace of God towards us. We've experienced it ourselves. And so to go back and try to live a life that that pleases God by what I do and 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 worse, to go and try and force people to do that, to to set up stupid signs that say you have to be like this to be a Christian, says Paul, rubbish, throw it away. Because if you do that, you're not only ignoring what you know to be true, you're ignoring what you've experienced to be true, what you have said you are basing your life on. You are acting the hypocrite, says Paul to Peter. Maybe to us. And so the, the, the inevitable question verse 17 is, well, if, if the law doesn't matter anymore then maybe we can just do what we want because grace has set us free and, and, and God's grace is sufficient and I think Paul says in Romans, let us sin more so that grace may increase. You know what Paul says in Romans is exactly what he says here in Galatians. It's, most brilliant Greek words for you may get all. It's like this not on your life. It's like the strongest. You've got to be joking. You've got to be choking. The freedom that we have because of the grace that has been given us in Christ Jesus is not a license to sin, says Paul to us in verses eighteen to twenty one, but it's a strength to live holy lives. More than that, it's not just the strength to live holy lives, it is the grace that Christ himself lives in us and through us and the life that we live now, we live through faith in Jesus Christ. Because we know that we can't please God, but Jesus can please God. You know, to to fall back to legalism when you've got that to go back to, to slavery, to rules and regulations as a, as a way of making God take notice of us. It's to go grave robbing. Who here has been grave robbing before? Peter went grave robbing. Went rooting around in his own dead past Peter said, you know, I'm, I'm dead to, to sin and law. I've been set free in Christ. I'm a new man, but do you know what? When the pressure's on, I'll go dig through the grave a bit and I'll invite some mates over to come and join me in there. Which is stupid. <laughs> Why fall back on something that has already proven useless? in putting us right with God. <laughs> Especially when the grave has already been robbed. First, beg pardon? <laughs> <coughs> That's okay. You, you, are, you are free. <laughs> you know what? We go back into our own lives is stupid... Go back to what we were before we met Christ. But the grave has already been robbed. And I just love the way Paul finishes chapter 2, verse, verse 21. You know, just verse 18, 19, 20, 21. Worth memorizing all of those. But verse 21, Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't go back to what I was. I don't go rooting through the grave. Because if righteousness, if I could be set right with God through the law, Christ died for nothing. And as Reg said, Christ certainly did not die for nothing. Amen.